0: There's a a lot of work that I do in the consumer perception arena with genetics and the neurology and wine preferences, and that's not what we're doing today. So this is going to be the pragmatic side of Tim Hanai, something a lot of people didn't know exists. (laughs) Um, About 35 years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, I gave up teaching structured wine courses. Uh, I used to teach introduction to wine, wines of France, wines of Italy. There was a little blip at the end, sort of an afterthought called the Wines of California. And things have changed in that 35 years. Um, I had grown really tired of this sort of pedantic, structured way of teaching about wine, so Um, I had a group from a distributor, and at the request of the distributor, he said, I want you to do a workshop with these people. And I said, awesome, Um, can I do it my way? And he said, whatever you want. So we sat down at a table, and we divided the, the six people into two teams of three. And I said, each of you are a team and open a winery. You guys have more money than God. You can buy anything, you can hire Robert Mondavi is your winemaker, and Julia Child is your chef, whatever you want to do. And the other team inherited a chrysanthemum farm in the Stag's Leap District with no grapes but land and a house, and they had not a penny. So both teams had to open a winery. It was really a blast. And it really brought forward the, the, the critical considerations about the reality of wine and the wine business. Uh, over the years, I, I, I kept this model. Um, I was on the uh, board of the San Luis, or the Cal Poly San Luis Obispo uh, Wine Program, and some of the professors there converted this idea into spreadsheets. Uh, I was part of Behringer Vineyards with Tom Burrill, and, and my great competitors, like our or distributor, uh, Ben Salisbury, and uh, I, I was, uh, 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 took over something called Train the Trainer at Behringer Vineyards. And we took this idea of you're opening a winery and we made it into workbooks that people coming to the winery to learn about wine actually also got to look at it from a business sense. So, long story short, I started teaching about the wine business. One thing I'd like to say about the the wine business we tend to look at things from our point of view we tend to look you know what how however biased or how however flavored that point of view is one of the things that I really encourage is understanding the wine business from multiple points of view different stakeholders in the process if you're developing a bulk wine and you're looking at the market and the critical things out there, you've also got to be acutely aware of the marketing and the sales, the production end of things, the finances. So part of of what I I help people understand is the imperative of of the different roles and understanding how things look from that point of view, the critical thinking aspect of it. there's blending as an art. Who's, who's uh, participated in a wine blending session here? And you, you take a little bit of Cabernet and a soup of this and you make your, that's not how the friggin' business works. That is so like unrealistic, this aesthetic idea of, of this balance of things. That's total crap. You're looking at business decisions. You're looking at sciences also. And so what happens, so many people go into the wine business or, or start a, a private label or, or, or look at the opportunities of, who's found some really cool wines out there to, to play with in tasting? Some neat stuff, isn't there? And, and so one of the things is you've got to look at the, rego- the role of what used to be called the negotiant in history, were the people in France, in Europe, who went to the vineyards, who contracted for grapes, who found a producer that was a little more vertically integrated who produced their own wine. And they would negotiate for that bulk wine and so forth. And so so what the negotiant was then is what's really going on here now. And it's it's not new. This isn't different. It's just most people have never been exposed to the world of bulk wines and of doing business this way. But it's a time-honored tradition. And, and the idea that, oh, well, I, I specialize in this type of wine. I don't blend wines. We like purity and whatever. If you're making wine, you're blending something. So there's, there's no wines that are not blended. Um, a lot of people say, well, why would you buy bulk wine? Isn't bulk wine crap wine? And, and there is there's that thought that it's synonymous It's cheap and whatever. And it's so surprising for people to find out how many really great quality wines are available if you know where to find them. And if you're looking for higher end, high quality wines, understand that this is a place to meet the people that can connect you to those wines because 90% of the high end wines that are bought and sold on the bulk wine market are through the whisper trade. They don't advertise it. They don't want people to know they're selling and so forth. There's this business aspect of wine and understanding why people would sell wine. So let's say that you've created uh, this wonderful Cabernet. The market's starting to stall a little bit. Production is up for a couple vintages. And all of a sudden, production can't keep up with the, um, with, uh, 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 the sales team. And so wineries often sell really incredibly high-quality wines as well, all right? So the long and short of this is there's all sorts of different ways to blend. There's also different strategies and so on. The key is really understanding the market for which your product is intended, the packaging, the, 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 the wine characteristics, the flavor profile, and then how in the world you're going to make money doing all this that is basically what the wine business, this part of the wine business is all about, all right? So you're looking at optimizing the balance, your cost of goods, and in terms of benchmarking, who's here to to find out what the benchmarking costs are of, of, of wine, anybody? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you, because I don't know. Because it's so de- dependent on the positioning, the pricing, the quality level that you're aspiring to. But but what we're going to do is give you the touch points along the way where you've got to establish the cost of the material that you're using, and that's actually a fermented, finished wine, referred to as material. Then are you going to do anything to it? Uh, do you have any other treatments? Any... any uh, uh, Additional oak aging or treatments that you're going to want to do then what's your cost of packaging taxes storage shipping You add on to that your allocated expenses and then the cost of doing business through the sales channel That you've established for the product that you're designing and these are the key places where you've got to establish what your financial benchmarks are What's the final cost of gallon of the material that you're going to put in the bottle? And there are times, by the way, um, there are so many brands that were launched and businesses launched that started as bulk wine that ended up as phenomenal wines. Anybody remember a brand named Glen Ellen? Glen Ellen Winery? And who who was the person who started that? No, it was Bruno Benzinger. And Bruno Benzinger, I loved like crazy, because he, he also he was responsible for bulk wine trading. Um, there was a wine in the uh, early 80s called Avia, and it was from Yugoslavia. And basically, it was cheap as hell. We used to sell magnums of it for $1.99 a bottle in Atlanta, Georgia. And the wine was pretty damn good. And, and Bruno was connected with it. He and I had become friends. I said, what, what the hell kind of cockamamie thing is this? He said, oh, it's just, it's just a way to take a product out of a communist country at the time. And they can't trade in dollars. So we set up this, this whole thing that uh, we trade. Uh, I, I worked for PepsiCo, who was the importer of it and they trade Pepsi syrup for this wine and just bring it over and convert it into cash as quickly as possible. There are so many cool ways to do this business and and exchanging goods and services, but but developing brands and and looking at the the channel options, you can can go to very uh, full distribution, uh, low price, high volume models, uh, Yellowtail is another really great story. Don't listen to the story that Yellowtail wants, wants you to hear, because that's the marketing story. It's, it's really a story of one accident after another, and a company that that hoped to build a 250,000 case brand ended up at 12 million cases and no frickin' idea what the hell to do. And now, that sh- now things are shifting and now things are changing because their cost of material has gone up dramatically, the availability, the sourcing and whatever. And now they have to shift their model and they're buying higher end properties or making real estate investments. And so by understanding the financial benchmarks and then looking at the forecasting, it can also give you a way to sustain your brand over time. And understand how to make adjustments because wine industry sucks at forecasting, but Harley Davidson knows how to let you know that their product drove by. Okay. So the way that 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 I like to look at things and 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 is pretty sensible is there's a supply chain in a value chain, and there's a series of of benchmarks. There's a series of adding value at each step of this and then there's also again looking at each of these then from the different stakeholder perspectives the seller versus a buyer of grapes have totally different ideas of what they're trying to accomplish all right it's as simple as somebody's trying to sell something at the highest um, price possible somebody's trying to buy it at the lowest price possible Uh, somebody wants to the the grower wants certain conditions and so on to be met the buyer might be you know asking to drop the fruit and to do all these things that lower the profitability so as you as you go through the process now we're looking at basically from production on especially with bulk wine but again it's also to see what decision you make and the the, the dollars that you're willing to spend and so forth, and what, what, might have, what you might have to give up in terms of quality or gain in quality by the decisions you're making. okay So that's, that's the, the, the basic thing of it. For anybody who needs uh, both Siati and this is Turrentine and whatever, is also being really, really aware of the macro state of things Uh, and and what's going on in the world of wine, because the supply and demand cycles have a huge impact, especially in um, bulk wine-dependent products, okay? And we're just getting, uh, we're, we're in a shift right now, and you've been hearing that from the people who are talking about supply levels. Yellowtail was started when there were billions of gallons of wine available in Australia for pennies on the dollar, they accidentally hit the label, the product, the lifestyle, they knocked it out of the park, and then they drained the ocean of wine that that was available. And that caused an incredible shift in the dynamics and the benchmarking so that now how are they going to get the material at the cost that they did that allowed them that allocation of, of the money to the marketing and, and sales and promotion of the wine? And now that's getting sucked up. And and how much can you produce? So this was the supply and demand cycle was, was a really imperative. With Glen Ellen and Bruno Benziger, Bruno actually knew that Glen Ellen winery. Was was almost a self-liquidating brand, and what he did was he established that, established the cash flow, did it in a high high uh, high demand. Um, I'm sorry, low demand, high supply market. As the market shifted, it was a very successful brand, but it couldn't be sustained. All right, and. So what it morphed into then is taking that money and capital investment and putting it into Benziger Winery and hugely successful, a top quality, high priced wine with its own vineyards and a family legacy now carrying it on. So looking at the exit strategy that you've got for your product, do you need to look at the financial benchmarks at a level that you can sustain through the supply and demand cycles or do you have a short-term opportunity? Or do you have possibly, one of the best strategies there is, do you have, have a plan to just kind of make it work, get it out there, put your wine in the market, and hopefully get it acquired by a larger winery that can offer economies of scale that you would never be able to achieve? And some of the smartest people in the world make a lot of money in the wine business doing it that way. The easiest way to lose money in the wine business is not to properly prepare for the inevitable supply and demand uh, surges and so on and so forth. So as you look at the supply chain options, then it it just becomes a series then of financial benchmarks to set. If if you're looking at bulk wine, you might want to also look at, at some model where you're crushing some juice or contracting for it and so forth and because you can set up your production model to kind of mitigate the supply-demand ups and downs. All right? So when you're looking at your cost of material and, and establishing that, everything downstream is going to be dependent on being able to source the quality required to keep your brand and keep your consumers, the consumer retention end of it, while, again, you're able to accommodate for shifts in, in, the, in the value. If you decide to go through the tier, three-tier system, you need to know what the distributors marking are, are marking up your product. You need to know how to add value to the distributor. And adding value to the distributor, is, 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 is Christian and 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 Ben will tell you in a heartbeat, it's how are you, what are you going to do for me? How, do you understand what my needs are? Do you you understand how we allocate our time and our resources? And do you understand what, what our markup needs are? It's really, and I've seen it over and over again, people going to pitch, and I used to actually do this, pitch a distributor and tell a consumer story, which frankly they don't give a rat's ass about, and then saying, and it's going to be positioned at this price point, and then you tell them what the FOB, is, and they say, well, that's less money than I'm making with two dozen other products identical to yours. Why, in the, why would I sell your product? So you really need to understand, then, if you're going three-tier, if you're going account direct, direct-to-consumer, or through third-party online sales, you need to understand each of those channels And understand then, strategically, what are you doing in your distribution plan? How are you getting it to consumer? And don't fall into the trap that direct to consumer, the wine club, the the internet sales, oh, but look, I cut out the middleman. No, you become the middleman. And if you don't know what's involved with that, right now what's going on in in looking at how to succeed in the direct-to-consumer environment, you've got to give away the farm to convert somebody from a shopper to an actual customer. And there is a a high, high proportion of consumers that just join your wine club, get your free shipping, 50% discount. That's great. They get the wine in, click onto the next and whatever. So do a lot of research. If you're looking to -to direct-to-consumer, it's not the Shangri-La that a lot of people pointed out to be. It can be truly a a money pit. And again, you've got a budget. You've got to understand how it works and how you can sustain it. And the number one thing in direct-to-consumer is retention. And you've got to spend against it. You've got to understand the consumer needs. And you've got to be prepared for it. uh, and then f- the final thing is point of sale and in, in going into these accounts and how do you develop them so that, that you've got this great personal relationship that they want your products. It's by understanding their needs as well. What do they need to do? How many people think restaurants mark up, the wine, mark up their wines way too high? Okay. Go into a restaurant with that attitude and you're out on your ass in a few minutes. All right understand why they mark up their wines the way they do. And now you can actually build a rapport with that account. You can understand their needs, and, and you can actually perhaps succeed in selling their wines. Who thinks wine education is really important? Educating the consumer and the staff is <laughs> good. So people will stop raising their hand a minute. It's, it, restaurants don't want it. Hotels don't want it. Especially if you're playing in the big chains, and so on and so forth. For Marriott, wine sales is hardly a rounding error in their business. And going in with this great idea that we're going to get their staff together at all these hotels, and we're going to educate stuff, which is really only a sales pitch. We're not really educating anyone at all and that they have to pay their employees for the time and effort and so on. You go to do this spritch and you walk out and wonder why didn't it work? It's because you didn't understand their business, their benchmarks, their needs, their requirements. So the industry has all these different ways to look at it. This is a, a, a really neat chart of a study that was done at Sonoma State University, I believe it was, and they took uh, vineyards selling grapes, so the equivalent, one acre of Chardonnay in Sonoma County and the gross profit per acre, but if that vineyard were to vertically integrate and and get that juice processed, it would significantly enhance their bottom line, and it would also help to offset the supply and demand and pricing variations of grapes, because the bulk wine variations are almost inverse. And, and this is why more and more bulk wine is becoming available because a lot of growers are finding this is a really great option. If, if I've got 50 acres and I put 25 of, of those acres available as, as raw grapes for sale and then I process and sell off another 25%, I get a much more even cash flow, a lot less risk and um, and more profit to boot, okay? So it's really asking question, what goes into the product and why? The answer really lies in the market. And if you've got gatekeepers to the market, then the gatekeepers might determine actually what goes into the bottle. If if it's a a wine that's destined for the Robert Parker crowd and you don't like the 100-point system and you don't wanna play that game, then you might wanna find another market because that's the game that you have to play. And it actually determines what goes into the bottle, what kind of intensity, what kind of alcohol levels. That's kind of easy. The harder part is in this middle where we don't have any frickin' idea why people are buying what they they buy. And where the the, the products come and go, you know, sir, when was Syrah hot? Like five years ago, t- t- 10 years ago, Syrah was going crazy, and then, no, that was over. Merlot was getting hot for a while, and there was a, a, a confluence of things, including sideways, and that went went down. So, so understanding the product and what's going into it and why, then that helps you set up your strategies for product quality, flavor attributes, and what you're trying to... To create with your product, um, I'm going to introduce you. We, we hope we're going to see if this technology works. Did I bring my mouse? Yeah. Um, where can you the, the the real key benchmarks you're looking to? Where can you reduce your costs? Right, everybody. That's pretty much a no-brainer. Where can you increase your prices? And then it's really imperative to know, at one point, you lose control over the product, especially through the three-tier system. You've now sold the goods. They're in another warehouse. They're owned by somebody else. They can still bill you back, and you bet, uh, bet your ass that if you don't know what bill backs are, learn that real quick. Um, and and there, The other thing is start to really think Business when you see certain trends. anybody seen a, a, a trend towards unoaked Chardonnay? Yeah. So we've got something called a wine biz sim. I'm going to show you. These are, we, we've got uh, uh, demos of these that are free, and they're cost calculators. And our favorite thing is to work up a, a $15 or a $20 Chardonnay, you know, fairly substantial size, uh, oak aging, and this great profile. And, and you come up and you end up with, with your, your, um, your net income, and you think, wow, this is, this is pretty, you know, okay. And you've worked into that, let's say, a six or, or seven, eight, nine month barrel aging program. You go into your little wine biz sim, and you zero out the oak aging program and your profits go from something like $300 and something thousand dollars to $1.8 million. Don't think for a second that the unoaked Chardonnay push or focus has anything to do with what consumers want. It has, it has what you've got a chance because you reduce your costs, and where are you going to reallocate that? You can reallocate a lot of that into your marketing and promotion and the purity of the wine, not asked, masked by the this and that. And you can spend more time and more money with the right press, the gatekeepers that are looking for that story about something that's different. And then you, you, you tell your cockamamie wine and food pairing thing because, oh, the who to who, not oh, mask, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you've got million to put into your pocket, to put into new equipment, to put into the marketing and to incentivize your sales team, and to offer spiffs and bonuses and incentives to the salespeople of those 20% of accounts that you really want to focus on. And this is what people don't see in the business, that it it requires to understand what these financial benchmarks are. Where are they from the, the cost of the material, the packaging, the bottling, the the aging, and the cellaring, through to the distribution, the pricing, and everything else. And again, there's no answer to what those exactly are. But as you're doing your business planning, pay particular attention to what's going on. And don't think think for a minute that this trend going on, sweet red wines, everybody seeing that? What's driving that? Anybody know? Consumers like sweet wines. <laughs> and and what, what we're talking about is 40% of the total available Caucasian market in France, and in, in Spain, and <clears throat> UK, and America actually want sweet wines, but they're embarrassed to ask for it because nobody's marketing to them. Right? It's this thinking that launched the Moscato. Everybody familiar with the Moscato thing? I did that actually, with this process by understanding there was a market opportunity, it was underserved, and it wasn't who the wine industry thought it was. And it was this massive opportunity. So if you can understand these things, it can really, really help you get past the artsy-fartsy end of the promotional part of wine, the passion, the emotion, and so forth, but really understand the business aspect of it. Let me give you a real quick then, uh, let me just run through these things. Yeah, and as you go into stores, look at the things that are, that are getting hot. Wine, red blends are starting to, to level out right now. And the reason is con- consumers are once again starting to get confused by the category. They don't know if what they're picking up is sweet or dry. Somebody's put this crazy blend of Zinfandel and Carignan and whatnot what into it. And so consumers are actually pushing back. So, so go in, into stores and check grape sources, check blends, look at what's being successful, and then also think business what, what are their touch points? What are the key points in the products they're making? It's a really, really cr- crowded marketplace, okay? All right then real quickly we're going to uh, shift over to a different computer and if you go to winebusinesslearning.com uh, we've got these calculators that we've created so that you can actually start to run different financial scenarios and do workshops of costs and and these are the key places you want to be looking for the benchmarks all right can you see those okay up there okay so So, obviously, how many cases and what are you selling it for from the winery, the FOB pricing, okay? Uh, The second area is a blending worksheet. Uh, You can have 100% of of this material that you're putting in. You know what the cost per gallon is. But this is also a way that if you're doing a blend, you can go in and say, I want X percentage of, of this wine it's this this cost per per uh, gallon and you can put up to 10 different lots in there and then play with scenarios like okay so if if i had this um eight dollar a gallon and i moved this up to 25 percent and then cut back on a more expensive it'll actually show immediately what's what's your bottom line um and this is to be used in a blending session where you when you're sitting with those samples and you're doing the artsy-fartsy, coming up with the perfect harmony and But you're also looking at your bottom line and saying, well, you know, Jesus, maybe, maybe this doesn't quite stink so much. How can we fix this? And, and this is the business. If you're in a winery and you've got this material to work with, you want as much of that material in your product as possible. You're not looking for this temporary harmony of, of aesthetics for a minute and that's the reality blending. So once you've got your material then established, that's benchmark number one, what's your cost of material, all right? Then do you have any additional costs associated with it, transportation and storage, analysis, other winemaking adjustments and so forth until you actually get the product ready for bottling? And then once you've got that, you get to the next step which is establishing what are your packaging and bottling costs and the closures the bottles or cans or whatever it's going into um, uh, labels graphics all that kind of stuff and then your certificate of label approval your post bottling requirements and any treatments you might be considering during bottling and you need to get a, a capture that full cost it's not just the bottle itself it's the complete package. And then you arrive at a really, really fundamental uh, uh, benchmark with your cost of finished goods. Okay? From the cost of finished goods, you then get to a, a cost breakdown. And you can start to see where you might be able to optimize your profitability by reducing costs. Uh, can you do things that would justify a higher price point and give you the margin? And we've got a separate cost calculator that then will take your FOB cost, and you can run uh, different uh, scenarios through the process and distributor markups. And and, uh, these are all available at uh, 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 winebusinesslearning.com if you're interested in playing around with it. So it's really an awful lot of people come into this business with a great passion. Who loves wine? Who's got a passion for wine? Should be about everybody in here right? Put that shit aside when it comes to business. It'll get you in trouble every time, all right? Understand what the real costs and the total costs are. Understand what it's, what's necessary to take your product to market so that you can make a profit, that you can succeed, you can support it in the market, and then make sure that you're managing the risk and, and the, the inevitable swings of availability and pricing and whatever over time. Those are the real key drivers of it all. Any questions? Tim, regrettably, we want to get everyone back out on the floor. So are you able to hang by the coffee stand for a moment in case anyone has any questions? Thank you all very much.